Hey, what's up? It's At The Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger, Arden Zwelling here. I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Ben Nicholson-Smith, as always, and also by Toronto Blue Jays' general manager, Ross Atkins, who was kind enough to sit down with us for about an hour on Tuesday at the Sportsnet Grill at Rogers Centre to talk about the trade deadline, to talk about about the club's processes, to talk about what the Blue Jays might do this offseason, to talk about some of the perception of this front office, uh, to talk about a lot of things. It's a good conversation. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. We are going to be back later this week with a video segment to recap what is going on with the Blue Jays uh, with this team that is suddenly winning a bunch of games. So you can check that out uh, on Sportsnet's YouTube page but for now here is Toronto Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins. Ross thanks for joining us man much appreciated. It struck me last night as watching the game there's a lot of internal competition on this team right now you look at your outfield I know Lourdes is hurt right now but Tay Oscar and Fisher and Grichuk even like McKinney and Alford coming up look around the diamond and Bo, Vlad, Cavan, Drury's playing well, Tellez is hitting well at Buffalo, Justin Smoke hitting well how do you think that impacts some of the success that you've seen lately offensively, that internal competition? Yeah, I mean, people talk about it all the time, that, that pitchers feed off of one another, hitters feed off of one another, that it is contagious, and that's a very subjective thing. But uh, it seems to be true. It seems to be real. The more you're around the game, that it's energy, right? You know, you're, if you're having success or someone in front of you is having success, that is positive energy. And if you're not, can be deflating. Uh, incredible to see the the confidence, the level of uh, you know just just how well guys are are really getting along and transitioning into this environment and use the word comfortable lightly uh, because you never want anyone to be too comfortable. But they have really transitioned well. The the young core and have been embraced by Teoscar and Grichik and Justin Smoke and I think that it's it's really helped our pitching. And our pitching has improved. Our bullpen has really stepped up since the trades. Uh, we've had some good stories in Wilmer Font, and Brock Stewart's been encouraging. Uh, the last outing of Trent Thornton was a lot of fun to watch. Wagusback has been solid. I think Thomas Pannone will be better than that last outing that he had. There's so much to be said for that in a, in a, in a world that you know we, we talk about research and analytics in sports so often environment and cohesiveness and, and being good teammates really is powerful too. Sometimes when, when I look back at box scores from, you know, let's say April or beginning of May, I am struck by the fact that this team now looks so different yeah. and just on so many levels, whether it's the pitching staff, whether it's the um, the offensive core that you guys have. Do you ever do you ever reflect back on even the change that's occurred in the course of one season? I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Of course, you know, it is, it is, uh, you know, one of the things that has been, you know, it's been difficult for me is to walk down the streets or be here at the state at the game and in the stadium and see a 10 year old with a Donaldson jersey on and a 15 year old with a Stroman jersey on and, and see Sanchez's name everywhere and see Encarnacion and Bautista's jersey still being worn. And I I understand how hard that is for a fan that those names are no longer here and can empathize. Those guys did remarkable things, and some of them will go on to continue to do remarkable things. Now we've shifted our focus to the, this younger core that we hope 
are Jersey names that are uh, here for a very, very long time and making and doing very special things together. And to us, it's it's always about the name on the front. I know that that is cliche as any cliche in sport, um, but it really is about the team and it really is about us trying to put the best possible team that is sustainable on the field. And we've had to make tough decisions to do that and a very different clubhouse, a very different roster. And, you know, again, I, I can't say it enough, but our hope is that our young fans, our new fans, our existing fans, and fans that have been fans for a long time are, are buying Biggio jerseys and buying Jansen jerseys. And obviously there's a lot of Guerrero and Bichette jerseys already being bought, but uh, it's a it's an exciting young group and it has changed a great deal and we are very optimistic that we have a lot of good things coming. Have you had any inter interesting interactions with those? You know, if had anybody come up and said like Ross, how dare you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I actually I was uh I was running in the streets in Baltimore and I don't normally get recognized in yeah. in other cities and I was, you know, just focused on my run really probably listening to some music and i had a guy stop me in the street and say why the three for one why would you <laughs> trade three players for Derek fisher and caught me off guard but we had a great interaction and we talked about where he was from in canada and obviously a very very passionate fan and i love those yeah. i love it when people ask me those questions where i can you know talk to them about it and explain the rationale behind it when you look back even a bit further to the beginning of the 2017 season, say, or 2018 season, you can see a whole transformation that's taken place. When you look at, at some of the additions that have joined this team, what are some of the ads, whether it's from within the system or someone that you've traded for, that you think have, have pushed this process forward the most for you guys? I haven't thought about it that way. If there was one or two ads that have been really uh, the most powerful, and time will tell. Um, but what has been interesting to see in this game, and specifically here in Toronto this year, is how tough the starts were this year for players that are very established or, or, or relatively established. Brandon Drury, Randall Gritchick having a really tough start. And, you know, Teoscar Hernandez had a, a really tough start after a couple of solid major league years. So that happening um, was was really difficult for everyone and especially difficult for them. But to now see the at-bats that Randall Gritchick and Teoscar Hernandez are having, they don't look like 740 OPS at-bats. I think they, they are somewhere in and around there, both of them. They look like guys that have 1,000 OPSs or 900 OPSs. I mean, just they're taking, they're taking really tough pitches. They're, they're selectively being aggressive in counts where they, they're looking to drive something and do damage. And... And now they're doing that. So, you know, it, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's ever going to be that one move that puts you over the top to, to really do something exceptional. But it is the collective when, when Bo Bichette is having an influence in some way on Randall Gritchick, that's when you know good things are happening. My understanding is this trade deadline essentially was a four-hour period for a lot of teams. Like a lot of GMs have talked about how there was really not a lot of action. I've heard you talk about how at noon on deadline day, you didn't think the Fisher trade was going to happen. Can you give us as much of a play-by-play -play as possible of how those four hours play out and just how things progressed? Yeah, I mean, if it's okay, I'd like to step back a little bit sure. before that and talk about our process and as it led up to that. So we have depending on the time of day and the exact day, anywhere from 15 to 25 people in the room. And 
around the clock is a bit of an exaggeration, but we weren't getting a ton of rest. Yeah. And <clears throat> the room is built up with our professional scouts, um, our leadership group from baseball operations, Mike Morov, Joe Sheehan, Andrew Tinnish, Tony LaCava, Ben Charrington, Gil Kim, Steve Sanders, all hands on deck. People from the performance side, Angus Mugford, Pat Chase, Scott Peters, <clears throat> a lot of different people involved in contributing to just trying to understand all the opportunities. So I haven't mentioned our, our research department, the analytics group, and Sanjay and uh, Joe Sheehan obviously was in the room, Adam Udelman in the room. There, were, there was an army of, of people trying to understand all the potential opportunities that were out there, which that comes in players, right? So when you're in the selling process, understanding those opportunities, in my opinion, is, is much more difficult because the numbers of players that you have to uh, spend time and peel back the layers on to dig into and understand which ones you feel are going to have the biggest impact. And it's it's 600 plus yeah. to go through that process. And that takes weeks, it, you know, probably over a month that of time spent uh, trying to understand how we valued players from other teams. And then as you have interactions that started, they started in June. Interactions started in June with GMs and you're trying to understand how they're valuing players, where you're going to line up, where you're not going to line up, who could be in play, who might not be in play how much of the other teams are playing poker or not. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate to get a couple of deals done and Stroman and Sogard uh, before that time period, uh, the last four hours. But when we got to that point, we were prepared for all of the opportunities that presented themselves. We had different people assigned to different teams with uh, another individual as a backup person in case somebody was tied up on another phone call or uh, with some other exercise to ensure that there's nothing that could happen that we weren't prepared for. Uh, we had thresholds and walkaways for every single opportunity that we had considered to the point that it wasn't dependent upon me being on the phone or Joe Sheehan or Mike Morove or Ben Charrington or Andrew Tennis. It, it wasn't dependent on any one of us. It was dependent on our process. And we had thought through all of that so that when opportunities came about, and there was an opportunity to trade Daniel Hudson for, for Kyle Johnston. We were prepared that that was the best deal on the, on the table. And then we're able to go back systematically to other opportunities and ensure that it was and felt comfortable moving. So if, if you don't go through that process and identify where those mm -hmm. opportunities are going to be, where the potential pitfalls are going to be, then it would be extremely fast and really probably not too realistic to do multiple deals. So uh, I think for us, it always comes down to collaboration, which is a very important value to us, but it, it's also empowerment and knowing and trusting that Andrew Tinnish and Ben Charrington can negotiate with another individual from another baseball operations team to put the right decisions in front of the group and ultimately for us to decide to move forward. I guess at your level, you still have to make a final call like you have to stamp this thing and at that point you've got i don't know how many active negotiations going on simultaneously like it must be moving fast yeah i mean it, it definitely picks up in those last four hours but as long as you've walked through where your walkaways are and have kept in one place what the opportunities are and framed them we're very thoughtful it it, it never got to the point where we felt 
immense pressure or where things were speeding up on us. We felt like we were prepared to move at every opportunity that presented itself. One, one interesting note that I think maybe some would appreciate, I think more, more and more GMs and executives are communicating via email and text mm -hmm. because that helps you slow things down and keep things documented. Um, there is the art of being on the phone and trying to learn more and yeah. pull more information and the back and forth. And that certainly still still occurs. But when it came to those last four hours, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 percent of the exchanges are happening via text. And you don't get that human feedback that way. Right. right. Like you don't get to read a guy's voice right. or his inflection. Right. Well, I mean, ultimately, when the deal is being agreed upon, in our case, we were always on the phone. Uh, but when you're going back and forth with certain concepts or ideas or constructs, a lot of that happened in, via text. And I guess part of that, too, would be that you're not betraying any information or giving away any information that you don't actually want to. You know, right. so you're not going to not that not that you would, but, you know, it, we're human beings here. So you could imagine a scenario where you might just say or a person might say more than they intend to in those conversations. There's there's no doubt about that. And I, and I think every every GM handles it differently. And I would say it is safe to say that every GM handles every other GM differently. Right. So you would almost have a scouting report for each GM. Yeah. I mean, and, and we, we have, what we have is past conversations and tendencies that they may or may not have. And, um, they've got the same on us. We have the same on agents. Agents have the same on us. And, uh, we, we're certainly, that's a big part of our process. Operating that way, does that make it easier to make deals with certain front offices than with others? Like I know Houston's had forty-man roster crunches, but like it, it can't be a coincidence you've lined up with them so often. Yeah, I mean, part of it is part of it is uh, process, um, and that seems to their process seems to align well with us. Um, and another big part of it is just the the flow of communication. There's no question that there is real value in that because you can uh, the more dialogue you can have the more that you can learn from one another the more opportunities will present themselves it's interesting when you look at the return for some of these trades and you know as you guys look through the 600 names um, of minor leaguers under consideration or, or major leaguers as well i'm assuming um, then that's that's a lot of information and for um, those of us on the outside, for a lot of fans, they see Simeon Woods Richardson, this 18-year-old, probably haven't heard of him. But I, I'd be interested to know, you know, when you guys are, are ranking him and assessing a guy like him or Anthony Kay internally, like, how, you know, even if they don't appear on the Baseball America top 100, where do they rank for you guys? Like, how do you, how do you obviously, there's, there's upside there. How do you assess that, that upside in relation to other prospects around the game? Yeah, that's 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 exactly the question. That is exactly the question that points to our confidence in making a deal, because if if we are completely reliant on industry rankings, we're probably not going to get many deals done. One um, and two, there's there's just more to a player than that. And I think the industry has gotten very good at identifying talent. It is not, you know, the the day and age where. It's only what the scouts see or only what baseball operations teams can see. And, you know, there, there are a lot of interesting, whether it be someone that's just doing it, Carson Sustuli, right. who's now a, a pro scout for us, was doing that on his own as a writer. And there is so much quality information out there. And we use that information, too. 
but it's just a piece of our puzzle. So I, I, that is one of the hard things I would imagine for a fan because we have so much confidence. And as hard as it is to, to trade away a very good player, believe me, it is very difficult. There is nothing romantic about being in a situation where you're selling and trading off very good players and they and it's not exciting it's not the situation that we want to be in we would always rather be in a situation where we're buying but we are more at peace with it and feel some level of excitement and fulfillment because of how much time and energy we put into Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony Kay and understanding where they rank amongst those 600 players for the Toronto Blue Jays and it was very high it would have been i think it would have been difficult for other teams to do to beat that you know even if they were um you know depending upon their motivation level based on how we had prepped out those players they were uh players that we were really excited about were there deals out there that you guys could have made that might have been you know more popular on the first on, at first blush you know someone who is out there on that top 100 list but maybe you guys didn't necessarily value that player the same way yeah absolutely there were players that uh, we had access to that were ranked much higher in the industry that uh, probably would have been initially received a little bit better so um you know the, the one of the things i'd say about trades too is you know we really won't know for some time how good the trade the trades that we have made are Ultimately, that's why you have to really stick to your process and believe in it and make sure your process continues to get better. It sounds like generally speaking, your internal know, projections on prospects will differ from industry rankings. I'm sure it's a case by case basis. Yeah. What are some of the things that cause that difference? Like, are there specific traits that you value maybe more than, you know, are reflected on industry rankings? Or is it just pure information that you have? And what is that information? You know, I, if, I think one of the the most exciting things for me coming here to Toronto um, was to see the cohesiveness of Joe Sheehan and Tony LaCava and Joe Sheehan and Ryan Middleman. And that is not always the case when you have someone who has built their resume almost entirely on R&D and analytics and a very analytically driven background not just interacting and getting along, but learning from Tony LaCava back and forth. And I think that's a massive, obviously I'm biased. And, and they were here. They were here before I was here. But I, I think it's a massive, massive benefit and advantage for the Toronto Blue Jays because that's when your information gets better, is when you have the push and pull from the very subjective side and the and the experience of scouting. So that's a very long answer, but the short answer is, I think the things that we value more than the industry is our subjective reports and understanding how to factor those in to the overall grade on a player that puts them at a certain level.
resume with Ross Atkins after this on At The Letters, which is, of course, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger with available FX4 off-road package. Everything needed to get maximum fun out of every adventure is in the FX4 off-road package, including off-road tuned monotube shocks, all-terrain tires with aggressive tread, traction enhancing, electronic locking, rear axle, plus the terrain management system and trail control provide essential off-road technology. Here's more with Blue Jays general manager, Ross Atkins. Watching this team now, it's you know apparent that there's a lot of offensive upside. Of course, you guys have, have added pitchers, and you've talked about the 20 or so names that you think have a chance to be uh, you know impact players at the major league level. When you look ahead to next season, what do you expect from this team? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think a lot will depend on what happens over the next month and a half. We'll have a lot more information, and that was part of the reason that we that we have created some of the opportunity is that we need to learn as much as quickly as possible to understand just how good we're going to be to start the year and you know what that means for our offseason, what that means for um, you know potential opportunities that may exist. So I think you know in large part, there's no doubt in my mind we're going to have great pitching stories. I can't tell you which one of them, which one of those pitchers is going to be the great story. Is it, is it going to be Patrick Murphy? Is it going to be Thomas Pannone? Is it going to be Jacob Wagesback? I, I can remember having very vivid conversations with Mickey Calloway and Chris Antonetti about Corey Kluber potentially going to the bullpen. And when he was in AAA with a five and a half ERA, not near the strikeouts, his walks were very high, but the stuff was there. And it really comes down to, from a pitching standpoint, it comes down to guys that can be durable get better. And we're having a lot of guys, that that list of 20-plus names are guys that are active and healthy and getting better on a daily basis. Not all of them have the best strikeout-to-walk ratio or the best whatever the number, whatever measure you want to use, but... But they do, a lot of them do have very promising characteristics and traits, and that will dictate just how good we're going to be. But I can tell you that, you know, as we've said, we want to go from being competitive to contending as soon as we possibly can. Understanding that, you know, next year, it's hard to, it's hard to put timelines on these things. And in your position, you know, there's probably more to lose than there is to gain by saying this is the year, this yeah. is the exact moment that we're going to be competitive. You know, if you look ahead a couple of years to say 2021, are we getting to the point that internally you guys are are expecting, you know, competitive teams again? Because, you know, we had we had you on a couple of years ago. You made the point that a few years of, of stepping back could make sense, but five or 10 years, not something you guys would ever want to do in this yeah. market, which makes sense. And you know, since then, it's been a couple of years where you guys have struggled, and now you're starting to see that return. A couple of years from now, is that when you guys would be like, all right, we really want to be in and winning? Our plan has been very aggressive because if you look at the teams that we point to, the Houston Astros, Chicago Cubs, they had the additional benefit of picking very high in the draft multiple times, and that's where we knew we were – when we tried to continue to build around the team that was here in 15 and 16 and tried to continue to complement them and we just didn't stay healthy enough, we knew there was a big risk that if we weren't healthy, there wasn't enough depth. We knew that. 
we weren't and we didn't pick first or second or fifth or sixth, but we still drafted well. And that has allowed us to speed this, whether you want to call it a rebuild or taking a step back, that's allowed us to expedite it in our view. And we feel like we're in as really as good of a situation as, as you could want to be in if you're thinking about improving and getting better from a good foundation. We're going to have flexibility. We're going to have plenty of money to spend. We have an incredible, exciting young core. It's not just about the players that we have in our farm system, too. It's the leadership we have in scouting and development and performance and, and analytics that is continuing to add talent to this organization. And that's not going to stop. It's working. And that's the part that we're excited and gives us so much confidence that what we can see under the hood, it's working. And our plan is coming together. So when you look at that money that you have to spend and as it pertains to this upcoming winter in particular, I mean, in past off seasons, we've seen in terms of starting pitchers, one-year deals for Clay Buchholz or Jaime Garcia, Matt Shoemaker. Could we see you maybe shop at a higher tier this coming winter and maybe go to, you know, sign a starting pitcher who will still be around or at least be locked up through 21 and 22? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't say no to that. And it's really going to, we haven't done enough work for me to say yes or no to that. I mean, I, uh, I'll hit it right down the middle and say we would certainly be open to yeah. doing that. Um, but it really is just going to depend upon what opportunities do present themselves. And I do feel confident in saying that we will be able to extract value in the form of pitching from this year's market, whether that be via trade or free agency. I guess if you were to sign a starting pitcher to a, you know, a contract of three, four five years, like what characteristics or traits would you be looking for in that individual to make that mm. commitment? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about free agency, the, the best thing about pitchers in my mind or the attribute that I love in a pitcher's durability. Uh, but durability for older pitchers is less common. <laughs> so, yeah. and that's just the nature of the game. So, you know, we, we haven't, we haven't been successful on that front this past year, obviously, mm -hmm. and just having durable free agents and guys that we've acquired and we knew there was risk. We also felt there was some pretty big upside to Shoemaker and Clay Buckholtz and, and Clayton Richard. We felt like there was some upside to that, but we understood the risk, the potential of them not being healthy. Whether it's how they're getting their outs is not what's important to us. It's that we're getting the outs and that we're doing it uh, over the course of a season. And we've got to, you know, we're going we're gonna to work hard to fill. Uh, we have a good young group. Of, of interesting arms that, as I've mentioned uh, several times, are going to improve and get better, and we'll feel like we'll be able to comp complement them well in free agency. So when how they're getting their outs doesn't matter as much. That means you know, it looks like the game these days is really front offices are valuing high strikeout guys because you yeah. just remove luck from the equation, right? Yeah. Like the ball's yeah. not in play. We're at a time where home runs are through the roof and the ball is flying. Yeah. Well, who knows why? But the ball is flying like it hasn't before. But your philosophy isn't just, you don't mirror that. Well, no, I mean, it, it's just what's the acquisition cost, right? Yeah. So it, it, in a perfect world, sure, would I like a guy that has the, the highest strikeout rate, the lowest walk rate, keeps the ball in the ballpark <laughs> and is exceptionally durable? There aren't a lot of those guys, right? right. So um, and then you find the guys that do do those things are, are exceptionally expensive. You're paying a massive premium for them. Are we open to that? Absolutely. And, you know, what is the cost and what's the opportunity cost? When, when you look at the way that pitching staffs are built these days, there are different models for it. And you guys have used the opener this year. 
um, with some success. Guys like Font, pretty intriguing arms. And even around the game, there are other teams that maybe go away from the traditional five-man rotation and closer and you know six other relievers and piece it together. So when you talk about this 20 names and the reason that they are encouraging for you guys internally, do you view them as guys who will hold down rotation spots or are they just kind of arms and you fit it together later and, and make the pieces work? Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, it really comes down to when we identify those names, it's guys that we feel throw the ball over the plate and have average to above average fastballs in doing so, have a off-speed weapon that projects to be major league average and ideally a third. And then how they do that their deliveries and their process and their work is factored in. Their ability to handle information is factored in. And we've identified 20 plus names in our system that we feel have those traits and characteristics. Now, having said that, there's, there's a lot of work to be done, right? There's, uh, there's a lot of innings to be pitched. There's a lot of growth to happen and occur. And some of them are going to get they're going to become exceptional. Some of them, in our view, have the chance to, and some of them are going to get hurt, and some of them are going to underachieve. But we feel so confident in our player development process, in the group that has been working very hard to give our players the best possible platform to improve and get better, that more than not, more than, uh, more than not are going to improve and are going to get better. When you talk about that durability with starters, my mind immediately goes to Nate Pearson because he is such an interesting case study as a guy who throws exceptionally hard, um, has had this very interesting beginning to his pro career. Like I looked it up the other day, he's only made 30 appearances as a professional because of the time that he's missed. It's like it's incredible because he drafted him in 2017. Yeah. Like how careful do you have to be or I don't know, how different is his progress and his development to say you know, a 22 year old who only throws 91. Yeah, it's, he is really interesting. And, it, and when you miss a whole year, that, that happens, right? And it was an unfortunate accident, obviously. To tell you what type of pitcher or what it's going to look like five years from now for Nate Pearson is a really interesting discussion because he throws the ball exceptionally hard. So is he going to be someone that just continues to do that and get the ball by guys? Is he going to back off a little bit and have uh, that to go get later when he wants it and for a strikeout or just later in the game? It's going to be really interesting. It's really important to him that he is throwing hard and continuing to throw harder. Um, so, man, the guy's passion for just improvement and his passion for pitching and understanding the cerebral aspects of it and digging into it you're, you're seeing it more and more in the game now than ever I feel uh, because of how much information is at their hands and how much uh, people are talking about it across the industry um, but he has all of those attributes he has the curiosity he has the work ethic he has the power the strength the tool that and the weapons are all elite so it'll be it'll be exciting to watch and it <clears throat> You know, this this next month, this next, yeah. you know, these next three weeks will be really fun to watch as well. How much is he a test of how the sports science side of your organization can impact a young player? Because like you said, you know, he throws so hard. Yeah. You just you have to think about the toll that that takes. Right. And the demand on his arm. And obviously he's trying to optimize everything by going to drive line and yeah. trying to make his delivery as efficient as possible. But it's still somewhat unnatural what he's doing. So is, is that kind of a test of how your sports science can 
get the most of an athlete like that? Yeah, I think so. I think we have to stay uh, extremely disciplined to each pitch and each outing and not just wait for something to happen to stay ahead of it. Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, the, one of the best aspects of this game is that you do have to do it for 162 and he'll have to do it for 30 plus starts. And that will, that will be development and that will be growth for him and how that impacts him. Only time will tell, but he's a hard guy to limit. He's a hard guy to limit. When you look at the major league level of a contending team, the next contending blue Jays team, Obviously, you guys would need at least nine position players and at least five starting pitchers, but probably the number is way more than that. So as you guys try to build that internally from the ground up, how many do you guys have a number in mind of, hey, we need 15 really quality position players and we need 20 pitchers? Like, is, is there a number in mind that you guys have for that kind of for that kind of benchmark of, hey, this is this is what we'll need to actually contend? Yeah, I think the numbers are bigger than that, really, because your your farm system is it's it's your lifeline. Because it's not just the continued waves of talent that continue to to come. It's it's also your ability to make trades at the deadline and have resources to do that. Um, so it's it's well above fifteen and twenty. The numbers are when you get to the point where you feel as though you have layers of talent and you have good reason to believe that it, it is going to be um, have a significant impact on the organization, then you can start to get aggressive in free agency and in trades, and we're getting close. We're really getting close. You mentioned how you haven't had the benefit yet of a top five pick like some other organizations have gone through similar things. Next June, I mean, it, you have still 40 games to play, <laughs> but it looks like top eight could be higher you got a pretty strong schedule ahead of you so how important is that decision how important is nailing that because you look at the players that are drafted in the one yeah. to eight range there's some really good players and there's also some cautionary tales of organizations that made mistakes how do you process through that and make sure you make a decision that in five and ten years you know ben and i aren't sitting here like <laughs> ross screwed that one up <laughs> no i mean you you, you make sure that you focus on your process and focus on your process getting better. And it is remarkable to see how, how much better our process has gotten each year at our understanding where, uh, how we're valuing players in the draft. And we were prepared to pick third or fourth this year for sure and, and had enough information on all of those players and would have been excited to be picking at that level. And very glad we have Alec Manoa. He was very high on our board and, and glad he was there for us at 12 this year. So every, every decision we make is, is exceptionally important, and that's why we, we stick to process. And the more we can improve our processes, the better we'll be. When you say that those have improved, how have they improved over the course of the, the years that you've been here? Just from continuing to discuss them and learn from... Um, success, learn from mistakes, learn from opportunities and challenging one another. We have an incredible amount of experience here. We uh, feel like we've complemented a good group that was here and, and bringing in uh, leadership and, and transitioning some of the roles here. We've empowered Joe Sheehan a great deal, really empowered Andrew Tennish. Tony LaCava is one of the most respected amateur scouts in baseball and he is um, you know, working tirelessly to understand all of our opportunities there. So we obsess about it. We're constantly talking about how we can improve upon it. And it's a, 
a very, very large group of people. It's not just Joe and I. It's not just Mike and I. It's not just Mark challenging us. It's it's Sanjay Chowdhury and Adam Udelman and Jeremy Reeser. There's a large group of people that are engaging with our pro scouts who were just here. <clears throat> and now we'll go through our, our process at the deadline and talk about how we can improve upon it. What could we do differently? How could we have was the timeline right on how we prepped out those players? And are there things that we were doing where we potentially spent, you know, if it were possible to spend too much time on certain organizations that ended up, we, we learned too many negative things about players that just because we didn't spend as much time on another organization, did that potentially work against us? And, and we don't think so. <laughs> but those are the types of discussions that we're having and talking about is there are there other opportunities to make us more disciplined what do you think about those mistakes that you've learned from i know it's always hard for you to talk about things like that because then yeah, no, you yeah. got to talk about <clears throat> but then you have to talk about a player right yeah, and yeah. you i know we all have a lot of respect for how hard it is like we're sitting out here above the rogers center right now how hard it is out there on that field <laughs> to compete and to succeed yeah. so but do you th can you think of an instance or an example or something that comes to mind of like, well, that's a mistake that we made that we've learned from over the last four years? You know, it, it really is the unexpected opportunities that come about that you weren't able to spend as much time on understanding the player that is now available. Mm. So that's where we go back and spend more time on, OK, how do we prioritize the organizations and the players that we're going to learn about? Whether in, in typically it's a lot easier in free agency, even though free agency is a very difficult place to be successful and do well. And trades are the most complex. And that is, you know, where the opportunities come about. And then when a player does come available, why is he available? Right. Why is he more readily available? And did you do enough work to understand that? So constantly having those discussions and constantly talking about that. When you see... So Aaron Sanchez goes to Houston, and in his first 11 innings, it's quick. I know it's a brief sample, but he's allowed three hits, you know, just a run. Like he's having a lot of success, and he didn't have a lot of success over 20 to 22 starts with you guys before that. Do you think why weren't we able to get him to perform like that when he was in house? I feel like we were. You know, his last three starts with us were very good. I think his last outing with us or the one before he punched out 10 and walked zero or one which yeah. in five innings. So we, we do feel like he was turning the corner and Pete and, and our crew were doing a great job to help him. But all the credit goes to Aaron Sanchez. And I hope he goes on to continue to have more and more success. And I, I really do. I'll be pulling for him. As hard as it is for us to, to make those trades, once they're done, I still continue to pull for players to be successful. Are there other players, you know, it sounds like Sanchez isn't one of them, and, and understandably just given that he was about to be a free agent after 2020, but are there players that you look and say, man, whether it's, you know, a Gio or Shella or someone who's kind of slipped through over, over the course of, you know, the four plus years that you've been here, which happens to every franchise, of yeah. course, but are there ones that you say, man, I really wish that we had held on to that guy? Yeah, I mean, there's always the information's always changing. So again, like I always always just go back to what was our process and did we spend enough time on it? Are there things that we missed? Are there things that we could have pushed? And are there things that we could have done differently? And of course, you know, could we have played Giovanni Urshela more? Could we have really pushed to make sure that he was out there on a regular base a regular basis just to see to give that runway and that? Um, you know, of course, we talk about that all the time. I think. It's to Gio, on Gio specifically, I think he's in a lot better shape. 
this year than he was last year. He looks to be. Um, he doesn't look to have made a big offensive adjustment. Uh, the plate discipline is better. He's probably just grounded a little bit better and more confident and more balanced in his stance so that he's seeing the ball well. And um, I'm happy for him. I've, I've known him since he was 16 years old in Columbia. We signed him in Cleveland, and I've been around him for a really long time. He's always had the eye hand. He's always had exceptional defense ability, his arm, his hands, his athleticism, his plus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we always talk about, okay, what could we have done differently? How could we have handled that differently? But there isn't one player that I wish we would have, uh, you know, because there's always some opportunity cost. You know, there's always, um, you know, what does that mean that was what player you weren't acquiring or what player were you giving up to, to give the player this opportunity? The flip side of that might be a guy like Eric Sogard, who you bring in and has this breakout year. Did you guys see that coming from him? Did you see something in him in the offseason that said, this is, this is a Sestouli guy? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, with, with Eric, it was that he was coming off a knee injury and he was in better physical shape. And uh, we, had, we had spent a lot of time. We tried to acquire him from Milwaukee when he was there and had always uh, felt like his plate discipline, the the character, his work ethic, played very well. We thought he would fit well in this ballpark, and he likes to pull the ball. Uh, so, you know, we thought he had a chance to hit some home runs. Didn't think he was going to hit it, you know, as many as he did. But Career high, like a month in or something. <laughs> yeah. you know? But Sogi's great, man. He was uh, we're incredible that we were able to, to acquire him on a minor league deal. Right. Inqu incredible in saying that we're very fortunate that he signed on a minor league deal and Hudson, too, on a minor league deal and traded away for players that we're excited about. Well, in the players to be named later, can you share any insight onto what you're expecting to recoup there? Yeah, I mean, so I, it, it feels like it's most likely going to be young pitching that we are uh, uh, have spent already a great deal of time on and now have uh, the added benefit to pick from several that uh, we feel strong about that opportunity. When you guys look ahead at the next six, seven weeks of the regular season, um, I guess maybe me and Arden or probably fans as well would have a tendency to skip ahead and say, all right, 2020 or 2021, but there is a lot of baseball yeah. left. And what do you guys look to accomplish, understand about your roster and the way that it looks moving forward in the course of those remaining 40 games? Yeah, I mean, it. it it is, uh, you're right, there's a ton of baseball. What a great opportunity for this young group to, you know, the teams we're going to be playing to see how they handle the, the struggles will come to. You know, Vladdy went through it, and at some point, you know, Bo's not going to have a 1,500 OPS or whatever it is that he has. And one of the most encouraging things that I think from Bo has been, I know he's made a couple of errors, but his defensive aggressiveness and confidence has been very encouraging. How much better Cavan has gotten defensively in a short period of time has been very encouraging. But the thing that we're talking about now is just versatility and how do we optimize that? How do we optimize playing time? It looks like we're going to have a 12 or 13 man position player roster with us wanting to play all of them and play all of them frequently. And that's a great problem to have. It's not player X or player B that's going to play one every five, one out of every five or six games. We're going to be pushing Charlie to to get all of these guys multiple multiple games and that we'll have to talk about versatility we'll have to think about ways to optimize that and that's a great situation to have 
The guys who brought you Superbad and Sausage Party are taking the R-rated comedy somewhere it's never been before. Sixth grade. Picture. Tonight is our first middle school party. There's gonna be girls there. You know what that means? Drama. Oh, kissing. Critics are calling good boys adorably inappropriate. We could not go to that party without knowing how to kiss. We could spy on my neighbor. She's a total nymphomaniac. She starts fires. No, nymphomaniac. Someone who has sex on land and sea. Good boys in theaters August 16th. You mentioned Charlie earlier, and I'm curious, in a year where you're not going to win as many games as you'd like to, how do you evaluate the job a first-time manager has done when you're not pointing to sheer wins and losses? Like, what elements are you looking at? I, I don't think that he really could have had a bigger challenge in his first year. If you think about the expectations of this city and this country, um, you know, what the our struggles to start and doing it for the first time, managing at the at this level for the first time, he has been incredible. And it is these his job is I have so much respect for. I have so much respect for the jobs that major league managers do and how hard they are to not just the in-game decision making, it's the clubhouse and making sure it's not keeping people happy either. It's keeping people driven and motivated and inspired. Uh, and he has been nothing short of exceptional. I think he has a lot of great qualities, baseball experience, his wisdom, his instincts are incredible, his openness to information is incredible, but hands down his best quality is his, his, his willingness to understand how a player is feeling and that the level of empathy that he has for them and thinks about on a daily basis, and players feel it. They know. They know how much he cares about them, and uh, th that is very powerful. Those are kind of intangible things. I'm just curious how you evaluate a guy based on, you know, things you can't yeah. really wrap your hands around. Well, because we feel it too. You know, when you live with someone, we, you know, everyone feels it. It's just like you probably going to work with Ben on a daily basis, you know. Yeah. You <laughs> Maybe. We see a lot of each other. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, and a rookie manager on a team with a lot of rookies, and we can't let you, you go without asking about Vlad Jr. Um, when he first joined the major league level, you guys were pretty clear about the fact that his development would continue here in Toronto and in other major league parks. So I'm wondering what development you've seen from Vlad. How has he changed as a player from whatever it was, April the 25th till August the 13th? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a better question for him, and he will, he is, uh, can answer this better than I, but I'll give it my best stab. And I think the most encouraging thing that I've seen is his open-mindedness. So he, he's not set in his ways that this is the way I was successful, and this is therefore the way I'm going to continue to do it, because he had some struggles, and he was asking for help in a very confident way, not in a, not in a concerning way at all to make subtle adjustments to his routine, to make subtle adjustments to his preparation on how he's preparing for the starters and the relievers that day, to make subtle adjustments to his process for defense and how he's getting prepared to play defense on a, on a daily basis. His, his routine has only continued to get better. Um, but, you know, man, he's the, the most remarkable thing about Vladdy to me is that he already is a household name. Anyone who follows baseball knows exactly who he is and loves watching him play. And he is so humble. There is, there is not uh, an ounce of entitlement there. The, the, he just such a sweet kid and such a great, great thing for baseball. And, but it, but he, he's, he wants to get better. 
he wants to get better and he's trying to every day. My last one for you is more of a global to baseball question rather than just in the weeds of what's going on with the Blue Jays. And that's to, I don't know if it's a lack of movement across the game because we saw like quite a volume of trades at the deadline, but it's like, it's a lack of premium player movement, maybe Um, like, I, I think you're seeing teams being really cautious with trading their young talent. Like, a, you know, control seems to get more and more valuable every year. And we're seeing a lot of front offices like, and, you know, this is more global, not just yours, but being process driven and cautious. Yeah. And you look at that in comparison to the NBA where fans see, oh, big players are moving all the time and this is exciting. And I wonder if you think that has a negative impact on fan interest in the sport, if that's something yeah. that you consider. Yeah, I mean, actually, when I think about fans mostly in the in the game, I think about the MLB initiative to speed the game up yeah. and make sure that there's as much action as possible and um, ultimately winning. And, you know, how winning is what people get excited about. And we, we understand and get that. And regardless of names changing and... Uh, what what the names are and who they are that is definitely a part of it and very different in the NBA than Major League Baseball and are we as an industry potentially overvaluing our own players sure right. you know that that you know we have more information on our own players and then as an industry we're really valuing young players and prospects that haven't done anything at the major league level yet but I also think we're doing a better, better job of of getting that right, and we're not gonna we're not gonna be right on yeah. not even close to you're wrong a lot in this yeah. in these in these lines of work. So, you know, it is interesting. It is going to evolve. It's always cyclical. But I I do think, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is exactly what your question was, but because I've been talking a lot here, but I I think <laughs> that. Um, are we potentially overvaluing young prospects? Potentially. Well, and I wonder if you sympathize with the fan who says, well, I hear these GMs in baseball talking about control and value. Yeah. And it, like you took a ton of heat for 42 yeah. years of control, right? Yeah. And assets. And fans are saying, I can't relate to that. Like, this yeah. is alienating to me. You know, like I'm just for us, like we're deep into the wonkiness of it. Right. right. But for the casual fan. They just want to stop you in Baltimore in their Donaldson jersey, <laughs> right? right? So, why? How could you give up three players for one? Like, do right. you kind of do you sympathize with that fan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what I meant by that was just lining up yeah. and having um, talent or players and people and humans yeah. that are going to be able to play with Bo and Vladdy and Kevin and Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire and Teoscar and Grichik. So when you have you know the way the rules are written, you have. Uh, six years of rights to that player to be with your organization and more you can line up that group to be together, the more powerful it can be from a depth standpoint, but also in our view for wins and for fans. So our hope is that um, we're complementing these names that we have here now with years of, of players that are going to line up and be together for a long time is all I meant by that. And saying it's human is important because I think a lot of fans find that language dehumanizing. Yeah, sure. Right? And we, you know, it's like the, when, when you're asked to do, you know, to talk about your strategy and talk yeah. about, you know, your process, you do tend to probably come across sounding a little bit cold. corporate and cold potentially. And, it, and it's really just trying to balance being, explaining to the best of our ability 
that we are trying to do what's best and what is potentially going to last and be something that this city and this country are excited about for a long time. And ultimately, we know the most important thing is winning and players. And, and, and it's about the players. It's about the team. And man, this is a, a good, young, exciting group. Do you think about trying to message things in a more warm or approachable way? Like when you're here talking to us, yeah. like you are talking to fans through us, not to get too meta, right? But do you think about the way that you do message kind of explaining that decision making like you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I do. But I also all I can do is be honest, right? So I'm not an actor. I, I don't have it in me to be anything but honest and, and tell you as much as I possibly can. I wish I could say everything. I wish I could say everything that goes into every possible decision and exactly why we did it, but that would be a competitive disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And it would also potentially be disrespectful to another individual. So I, I you know, it, it, it's our, the best of our, I do think about it and I do, but ultimately I just, I try to be prepared so that I can hopefully provide some insight. And then secondly, I just try to be myself. And I, I think of myself as a relatively empathetic and warm person and, and sometimes, I guess, just doesn't come through the uh, the airwaves. But it, it is funny with that kind of the years of control comment, right? Because on the one hand, you know, if you're a casual fan, you're like, what? Like Josh Donaldson is just like he's the bringer of rain. That's it. On the other hand, can you imagine being a fan of a baseball team? whose front office didn't know or care about years of control, because that would not be a good scene either. That team would probably get dusted every yeah. year. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, my last question, totally global. You mentioned changing, having the ball in play more often, speeding the, the game up. Are there any like reforms that you look at with the game that you think should have like i think that the strikes don't should be electronically judged yeah. uh you know i think that the regular season should be shortened and playoffs should be expanded and more teams should be in it are there any yeah. reforms like that that you look at as this game needs this i think we need to consider all of them very seriously and we need to you know continue to work with our players on you know what what is best for long-term health for this game and and we are and we are doing that so um, there's there's not one that I would say this one is the most important. It's the it's the collective it, that we're talking about it and we're continuing to make progress that way. And I think Rob Manfred has done an incredible job because it's a it's a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing when you're talking about um, small changes and what the long term implications are, are of them and the unintended consequences. And um, but. You know, we, it's an incredible game. It's it's still so exciting and so so much fun, and we've clearly made progress in getting young fans to the game. But we've got to continue to do that. All right, thanks for your time, man. All right, Arden. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Toronto Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins for joining us. Want to thank Show Ali, our producer, for putting this all together this week. You can get Ben, of course, on Twitter at B Nicholson Smith, and you can get us on Sportsnet's YouTube page. Later this week, where we're going to be recapping um, everything that's happening in Blue Jays land, a more traditional at the layers episode will be available there in video format later this week. But for now, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.